of Ezekiel chapter 22. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. Many would think it was remarkable to have the accomplishment of being in over 800 television commercials, but yet that wasn't really anything to the accomplishments that this man had. Others would say to be able to turn around four Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants several decades ago and sell them back to the company itself for $1.5 million would be a remarkable feat for a man in his young 30s, but that wasn't anything. You see, this man, since he was 12 years old, said that he would own his own restaurant chain, and he did. After he sold those, he went into a market that people said was saturated. There didn't need to be any more fast food restaurants. But yet he said he was going to do it, and he was going to be one of the best, and he was going to take his grandmother's motto not to cut any corners. And so he came out with a square burger. And instead of promoting these burgers and, and this restaurant based off of, of schemes and, and tie-ins to movies and, and to try to pull children in for some kind of toy that he'd give them, he said he was going to give the best quality of any restaurant and that he was going to give the best food, the best service. And he's the one that came up with the snake line so that you wouldn't have to be in the wrong line at the restaurant, the one that didn't move. He was the one that put the demand on the fast food industry to serve meals in less than one minute. You see, this man single-handedly in some aspects changed the fast food industry as we know it today. Several billion dollars later, 6,000 restaurants later, we know him well as Dave Thomas of Wendy's. And of course now he's deceased. But you see, that's not even his greatest accomplishment in life. You see... His greatest accomplishment in life is that he had a huge heart for children. You see, when he was a child, his mother died, and he was adopted into a family in Atlantic City, and at five years of age, his adopted mother died. He knew stepmother after stepmother, and finally, by the age of 15, he was on his own. From the age of 12, he was flipping burgers, and he was dreaming, deciding how he could become someone that would contribute to society. And when he made his money, he didn't forget the children. As a matter of fact, you can read at the Dave Thomas Foundation now that helps adoption agencies. And one of the opening lines that describe that will begin something like this. On any given day in America, there are 550,000 children and youth that are living in foster care across America. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing to help those children? We're not talking about children around the world at this moment. 
We're talking about children in America. We're talking about children in Wilson County. What kind of legacy are we leaving behind? We don't have to own a restaurant chain to change the world. We just changed the life of one child, and we've changed that child's world. We can change the life of one child, and we can change that child's eternity. We can change the life of one child, and we may, in fact, change someone that has such influence that he or she changes the lives of thousands. We just had so capably read for us a text this morning. It's a text that challenges us. It's a text where the Lord said, I was looking for someone to stand in the gap. And at this particular story, as we read it in Ezekiel, God says, and I couldn't find anyone. I'm thankful that that's not the case here at Mount Juliet. This church is full of individuals that are willing to stand in the gap. When this church sees a need, they're willing to stand where that wall has been broken down. They're willing to stand on behalf of others and build that wall back. In Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter here, we started reading at verse 7. I want to back up to verse 1 and 2 for just a moment and remind you of what is being described here in verse 7. In Ezekiel 22, 1 and 2, he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, My son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Yes, show her all her abominations. And that is the beginning of this chapter. In other words, Ezekiel's task that God had given him was to go about and show the city their sins. And so when we come to verse 7, he says, I want to show you your sins. He says, number one, you have become a society that is making light of mother and father. Now, friends, that's not my wording. Notice again there in verse 7. In you they have made light of mother and father. Now, when we think about what does it mean to make light of something, we know the way we use the expression of speech today, but when we study the Bible, it's always best to go back and see if that's the way the expression of speech was used then. So we do a word study on making light from the old Hebrew text. And the word study shows us that the primitive root meaning of to make light of something or someone is to deal swiftly with it or to deal with it as if it is small. Have you ever been real excited about something? Maybe you've just come back from El Salvador. And it's been a life-changing experience for you, literally. And you've seen lives change there. And so you are on one of the mountaintop pinnacles of your life. And so when you get home and you see your friend out in the foyer on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and you're thinking, man, I have hours I want to tell them about El Salvador. And you walk up to them and they say, hey, how was your week? And you say, oh, it was awesome. And they say, great, we'll see you. And you're just kind of... And so somebody else comes by and they say, how are you? And I say, I'm great. I just got back from El Salvador and... See you. Do you like it when something is of ultimate importance to you and people deal swiftly with it? Do you like it when something is so important to you and people deal with it as if it's small? God says right here, I have a problem with this society that Israel has developed. It's a society that takes something that ought to be of long-term, magnificent proportion, and you've dealt with it 
as if it's nothing. Is it fair to say that many in our society have dealt lightly, even today, with parenthood? How important is it to the Hollywood crowd that a child have a father? When we see it being glamorized that a woman is somewhat advertising the fact that she's looking for someone to simply be a donor so that she can have a child out of wedlock and raise that child out of wedlock. Friends, that says nothing else but this message. Fathers are light. Let's make light of fathers. Let's have them swiftly in and out of our lives. They're a small thing. A child doesn't need them. Or do children need fathers? Do children need mothers? Now, I want to tread on some delicate waters here, but I want you to hear me loud and clearly from the very beginning. I think each one of us is families, and I mean this with all my heart. I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence, but in a minute we're about to pound an important point. I think each family has to decide whether or not they want the mother to work outside of the home or to be at home with their children. We look at the virtuous woman in Proverbs, the 31st chapter, and she worked quite a bit outside the home. She had her own vineyard, and she was out buying and selling, and she was dealing with merchants. Friends, I think we see clear biblical examples of women that were very industrious in other things outside of their home. But now I want you to notice this. No man and no woman is going to find anything in their life that's more important than parenthood. Something is wrong with a woman when she says... Well, the only reason that I go to work is because I just had to find something to put value back in my life. I just didn't feel like my life was contributing to anything. Friends, that's atheism. That's humanistic thinking that says, I don't place a high value on motherhood. I had to find something that placed value in my life so that I could feel good about looking at myself in the mirror. You won't find overtime, gentlemen, at work that's more important than your children. You won't find a career that's more important than your children. And so it is, we live in a society that has made light of parenthood to the very point that many women say, my children doesn't even need a father, and other women say, the truth is my children don't even need me. I'll just pass through the house a little bit and I'll let other people raise them. And the truth is, that was a big part of communism that said parenthood isn't nearly as significant as what the Western civilization says that it is. God said, I have a real problem with this generation of people. This society has lost sight of the importance of parents. Now just very quickly, let's mention a few things in the Scriptures to see, does God count parenthood as something that's light? Or does God count it as something of great value? When we go to Genesis, the fourth chapter, this is the first time that we see parenthood described. In Genesis 4, in verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, What did she say? 
Oh, I've just added some kind of little daily duty. Oh, I've just changed my life a little bit. No, she says, I have acquired a man, in other words, a son, from the Lord. When we read in Psalms 127, that's on page 551 in your pew Bibles. Psalms 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Notice what verse 3, 4, and 5 says. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of warriors, so the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. God, tell us. How important is parenthood? And the very first mother said, this is a gift from God. God, tell us how important is parenthood. And Psalms 127, that's a whole chapter about families. God says, I want you to realize, number one, when a child is born, it's a direct gift from God. It is the fruit of God's hands. It's not something to take lightly when we are considered parents. It's something to realize that other than our responsibility to God, there is no greater responsibility than that of the family, that of marriage, and of parenting. Now, when we think back to Genesis, just scanning some stories in the very beginning of the Bible, have you noticed in Genesis, the seventh chapter, who went into the ark? It was Noah, and it was one of his best buddies from work, and it was another guy that he enjoyed bowling with, and it was another person down the street that he grew up with. Who was in the ark? Does it strike any kind of importance here that when Noah went into the ark, it was Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wife? What's the importance of this? The importance is God looked down upon a world and said, I only find one righteous family, one righteous family. Family, why was Noah's family righteous? I'll tell you why I believe Noah's family was righteous, and you can read Genesis 6 and 7 and see if you draw this same conclusion. Because there was a righteous father in that family that realized it wasn't something like to be a parent. Can you imagine some families today where fathers have taken their task lightly? Can you imagine saying to that family, uh, I tell you what, I want you and your family and I want your three grown sons and their wives to go and spend a year in a boat together and never get off of it. That alone proves he was a righteous father. Friends, there's a lot of people who say, I can't do it. Let me drown, whatever. But I'm not living with my daughter-in-laws. I'm not living with my middle son. I can't stand him. He's the worst creature on this earth. Think about how many families could never enter into an ark and live together on the ark. Why? Because a lot of families have never placed value on the family itself. Fathers looked at their job as being a very minor contribution to the life of an individual. And mothers looked at their job as a very minor contribution to a life of a child. And you know what happens? They end up raising children that view their parents in that same light and treat their children in the same way. Now, we're not going to take the time right now because we're running out, but in Exodus, the 20th chapter, 
we have the Ten Commandments in Exodus, the 20th chapter. The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with God's relationship, man's relationship with God. The last six of the Ten Commandments deal with man's relationship with other people on this earth. The very first of the Ten Commandments that deals with our relationship with other people begins, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days upon this earth may be long. Does that stand out? Absolutely it stands out. In other words, the first thing that God says on the Ten Commandments about relationship with others, He says, I want you to see mothers and fathers as an important position. And it doesn't matter how old or how young these mothers and fathers are, they are important. If we could find here the youngest mother and father here, they are very important. They have a huge responsibility. And if we could have here the oldest mother and father, they too are of great importance. And it doesn't matter if we're grown children looking at aged parents. They, those parents, are of ultimate importance in our life if we understand God's design of the family. In 1984, a governor, a few years ago I spoke of what a governor said in the state, and I still haven't lived this down. But I will take a little odds here and repeat another governor. I don't have anything against the state of Colorado, okay? I like the state of Colorado. But here's what the governor said in 1984. In 1984, the governor said, it is the job of the older generation to die and get out of the way of the younger generation. And he never apologized for his statement. That is some people's attitude of mothers and fathers. Raise us children up, get us into adulthood, and get out of our way. And God says, no. The task of parenting is so important that parents, when, when you're new parents, when your children are at home, you realize the tremendous responsibility that you have. And when those children grow up and those parents are aging, those children should still realize the great importance that they had in their life and continue to honor them all the days of their life. Now, isn't it interesting that as we think about a society that made light of mothers and fathers, it's no surprise that at the end of verse 7, this same society also made a lot of children. You see, if mothers and fathers aren't going to think that their task of raising children is very important, the natural result is that people are going to look at children and say, they're not important. And so that's why at the end of verse 7 here, he says, you have mistreated the fatherless and the widows. As we think about this, I want to read to you for just a few minutes, and you can see some up on the screen, some statistics of where we are as a world today. 18% of all children across the world live or work on the streets. For example, Brazil alone has 7 million children that live or work on the streets. Many of these children are slaves. Many of these children that are slaves are in child prostitution, and pornography. As a matter of fact, 150,000 teenagers in America alone are making their living on the streets in prostitution. What we're finding out now, and I was reading an article, really two different articles this past week from two different publications coming somewhat at a different angle, and it is how much the internet addiction to pornography of Americans is contributing to the sex slaves of those in third world countries. Because now such a popular 
activity online is to watch live shows via the internet that are pornographic with children. And so they're saying that sometime 80% of the income of these corporations or these entities that are operating with child slavery, 80% of their income is coming from America. Friends, we don't only have a problem across the world. We have a problem in America where people do not value a child. We can look right around our streets here in Mount Julia, and let me ask you this one simple question. Could your child go out this afternoon and buy drugs? Absolutely. And you say, why? Don't they love my children? No, they don't love your children. And when your child becomes addicted to drugs, if your child wanted to, they wouldn't have to go more than just a few miles from here to make a living in prostitution to pay for their drugs. Do they love your children? No. They could care less about your child. It's all about money. Could a society really come to that? In Ezekiel 22, he said yes. That's what your society has become. Now, am I saying that's what the majority of our society here in Middle Tennessee is? No. Thank God that's not the majority. But friends, at the same time, it breaks our heart in two that it's not foreign. It's not unheard of. And if parents do not start taking their position with greater responsibility, in other words, not making light of it, but saying it's a serious matter, the only result can be that children will be valued less and less and less. In other words, the less we value our task as parenting, the less children can be appreciated. And so it is. Females are oftentimes, female children, little girls, as we look across the world, are the ones that receive the blunt of all of this. You see, across the world, they receive less food, less health care, and less education. If you will, look with me to Matthew, the 19th chapter. I want us to read verse 13 and 14 and see what Jesus said about the worth of children. We've seen what Ezekiel was to say to the people in that day where they didn't value children. And we said, just look by example of some people across the world that don't value children. And as you're turning there, let's just insert this little appreciation. Isn't it wonderful to be in a congregation that loves children? I mean, really think about that for a minute before you just say, well, sure it is. Think about it. We can't send them to school and know 100% for certain these people are going to love my children. We can't send them out in activities in the community and know for certain they're going to love my children. But I can tell you something. The people I know here that teach and work with our children, they love our children. And we shouldn't take that lightly. Here's what Jesus said that he felt about children. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, in verse 13, this is page 868 on your pew Bible. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from them. Jesus' disciples thought that he was too busy for children. As this service closes today, there's going to be an exciting announcement made about opportunities you and I have to directly affect the lives of children right here in Wilson County. And I'll go ahead and warn you, it's not a small request. 
But it'll be a request that some in this church will honor. And you'll never forget it as long as you live. I want you to think about when these disciples thought Jesus was just too busy. He was to be about adult business. You know, important business. Church business. And Jesus says, do you not realize the importance of children? He didn't say that verbally. He said it by his actions. As he put a stop to all of that and said, bring the children here. Let me put them in my lap. Let me put my arms around them. And let me pray for them. Barna Research tells us an important reason why we all should adopt Jesus' behavior towards children. When we look at the Barna Research, we find out that adults are just living out what they learned in childhood. That is very significant if we are truly concerned about our community and about evangelism here and across the world. The moral foundation of a child. Now listen to this. The moral foundation of a child is in place by the time the child is nine years old. Why is it important for parents and for Bible class teachers and for those that are working with our youth to talk about even things that are moral and ethical? It's important because by the time they are just in the middle of elementary school, they will have already begun to form their moral foundation that will affect the way they view everything morally for the rest of their life. That's why it's important for us to talk with our children about the dangers of alcohol, the dangers of drugs, the dangers of fornication, the importance of family values, the importance of mother, the importance of father, the importance of being loving siblings. These are the things that our children must have in place at a young age, if they're to adopt the moral value system that God would want us to have. Now, the second thing that we see here on these stats is that one's personal significance in their life of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is in place by 12 years of age. In other words, Barna has done surveys to prove that what a child believes at 12 years of age is generally the same thing. If you survey that same child once they now are adult and they're 30 years old, they'll have the same value structure. They'll have the same understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as a young adult as they will when they're 12 years old. So why is it important for us to sit down and open the Scriptures and allow elementary school students to read about the crucifixion of Jesus, to read about His death, to read about His burial, to read about His resurrection. Why? Because what they typically understand by 12 is the understanding they're going to have for the rest of their life. By age 13, their spiritual structure, their spiritual beliefs are usually in place that they'll practice for the rest of their life, which draws us to all kinds of statistics, and here's just one of them. Four out of every five church leaders have been active in their faith before the age 13. Why is the young soldiers and the young ladies serving Christ's program so important? Because it is training the majority of the future leaders. 
Now, that's not to say someone can't come along and be converted in adulthood and, and become a leader. It happens 20% of the time. But 80% of the time, it's because individuals had that foundation that was laid there in their elementary and early junior high years. And from there, it's just building on that foundation. Now, when we consider that, we consider a few more statistics. And that is, that makes us aware of the Great Commission. If we're to go into the world and teach the gospel to every creature, and we think, how important are children? They have the same basic structure of morals and values and spiritual understanding as adults as they do as children. And then we look at the population. One-third of the world's population is under the age of 15. Hear that. Are you concerned about evangelizing the world? One-third of the population is under the age of 15. And when we study and see today who are Christians... 86% of all people that proclaim to be Christians did so before the age of 14. 86%. Only 10% did so between the ages of 15 and 30, and only 4% after that. Now, let's just say you're marketing, and you want to sell your product, and you find out that 80%... 6% of all customers are those that purchase before the age of 14 and that one-third of the world's population is under the age of 15. How serious, if you want to make money off your product, are you going to be about targeting youth? How serious are we about evangelism? That's interesting also to note, and I'm glad that Mount Julia is an exception to this, but you know, many youth programs begin with children when they're in high school. What have we learned already this morning? Their values are already formed by ninth grade. Wherever they are spiritually, that is a very good chance that that's the kind of person they're going to be as an adult. If they have doubts and misunderstandings about the resurrection of Jesus, they'll probably have doubts and misunderstandings not only in ninth grade, but also at 32 years old. What's the point? those of you that are working with our third and fourth graders, those of you that are working with our junior high, don't ever take lightly the the task that you have at hand. Thank God that there are so many opportunities to spread the gospel. And one of the greatest opportunities that we have is the opportunity to affect the life of a child. By closing, let's mention as we go back to Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, He was looking for someone to stand in the gate, and we're only going to mention these. But in verse 30, it was someone to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. This morning, I want to ask you, will you stand on behalf of children? Will you make the difference in the life of the child? That means that you're standing where the wall is broken down. In other words, there's something that that child needs. Maybe that child needs to learn of Jesus. Will you be the one to stand in that gap and teach them of Jesus? Maybe that child is a foster child and they need someone to show them for the first time in their life what a Christian mother and a Christian father looks like. And they'll never forget that as long as they live. They may only be in that foster home for six months. They may only be there for six weeks. They may only be there for one year. But you can rest assured, once they've seen a Christian home, they'll never forget. Not only did he say here to stand in the gap on their behalf, but he says to make a wall. In other words, to be the one that says, we'll do what we can do to make a difference. 
You know, Jesus taught us that when we do something for a child in His name, that's the same as doing it for Him. This morning, I hope all of us as parents realize the great and awesome responsibility we have as parents. I hope all children realize how awesome they are and how important their years right now are to the forming of a faithful Christian life. I hope as a congregation we realize the opportunities we have to send out faithful Christians from this congregation across the world, beginning with them in very, very young years. I hope all of us realize the responsibility and the opportunity that we have to make a difference in the lives of children right here in Wilson County. You know, when we look at those that cared for other people's children, we see some great examples. Remember Abraham? He cared for Lot. Remember Moses? He was adopted and 40 years later became one of the greatest leaders of that land. You remember Esther? She was an orphan. She had a relative that took care of her and later became queen. Do you remember you? You know when you were in the bondage of sin and you didn't have a heavenly father? In Romans 8 he said, I'll adopt you into my family. And if that's not true, you're an orphan in the worst sort of way. I'd much rather be an orphan out on the streets than to be an orphan from the Almighty God in heaven, abandoned from Him. This morning, if you need to be adopted into God's family, if you're ready to repent of sins and confess before man that Jesus is the Son of God, won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins, added to His family, adopted into the family of God, if you've been a part of God's family, but yet you've not lived as a part of God's family and you need to repent of sins and, and confess faults one to another and let's pray for one another. But friends, let's leave here with two great convictions in our life. Number one, I want to be faithful child in God's family. And number two, I don't ever want to make light of parenting and childhood. And I believe with all of my heart I can change the world one life at a time. If we can help you...